Would you turn please to Matthew chapter 8? I'm excited. Are you surprised? <laughs> Are you shocked? Brother Keith got excited about the word. No, I tell you, I, I've been doing this soon be 40 years. And um, I, I just keep getting more and more excited about the word of God and the things of God. Because it is life. It's life. Thank you, Lord. It never gets old. There's just always more <laughs> and greater. Hallelujah. And uh, in some verses that I've been hearing for decades now, I've seen some things clearer last night than I've seen them before, and I'm, I'm jazzed about it. I'm <laughs> you you want to be jazzed too? Okay. Matthew 8, for some weeks now we've been talking about this topic we're calling the greatest faith. The greatest faith faith. And you'll find two examples in all the uh, accounts of people, individuals that Jesus ministered to, that he said had great faith. The uh, centurion and then also the Syrophoenician woman. And um, these, these passages are recorded for us if it was only a one-time thing that applied to them, you'd have never heard about it. It wouldn't be in the Bible. But it's recorded for us because the same thing they did, I can do. You can do. It's possible we can have faith like they had. We can have faith Jesus marvels at. Did I lose somebody? You ought to say that out loud. I, I can have faith. Jesus marvels at. Now that's saying something. Yes. Isn't it? Because yes. <laughs> he knows a thing or two about faith. <laughs> but look with me in Matthew 8. And let's look again at the centurion. What happened with him. How this worked. Verse 5. When Je this Matthew 8, 5, when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came to him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Then he gives some insight into why he is so confident that if Jesus had just give the command, his servant, whom the other translations say was paralyzed and in intense pain and suffering, so, I mean, that sounds like something that might be untreatable by natural methods. He may be at the point of death, something that, but nothing's too hard for the Lord. He said, for I'm a man under authority. Everybody say under authority. Under authority. 
He said, and having soldiers under me. Say that out loud, under me. Under me. Notice there's an emphasis on under. I'm a man under authority. I have soldiers under me. I say to this man, go, he goes. To another, come, he comes. To my servant, do this, he does it. Verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he what? Marveled. I don't think Jesus marveled at just any and everything. He certainly didn't exaggerate or flatter. But this really impressed him. And he's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He hadn't changed. And he's no respecter of persons. If you do, think, operate like this man did, Jesus will be impressed with your faith too. And not only that, have you read the rest of the story? This man got a miracle. Is that right? His servant was healed. Praise God. That means he's no longer in intense pain and suffering. It means he's no longer paralyzed. Hallelujah. You believe this? Glory to God. He said, verily, I, I say to you, I hadn't found so great faith. No, not in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's saying, we talked about this already, a lot of times where you think you would find faith, you don't. And then sometimes when you think, well, you know, they, they wouldn't have much faith. They could have great faith. This man is not a priest. He's not somebody who has higher education in the scriptures. He's a soldier. Right? And the other account of the woman, the Syrophoenician woman, she wasn't a Jewish woman. She wasn't a Jewish proselyte. She grew up in an ungodly house. And yet, they had great faith. You know, it's easy to make excuses about not having something, but the Lord is equal opportunity. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you come from, who you are, what your background is. If you dare to believe him with all your heart, soul, and mind, he'll do things for you that most of the world never experiences. It's not because he's playing favorites. It's because you believed him and others would not. And then verse 13, he said, he told them, the centurion, go your way. As you have believed, so be it done to you. And his servant was healed. And didn't take six months. In the self-same hour, he's no longer paralyzed. He's no longer in pain. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. So, somebody said, man, I wish, I wish you'd do that for me. It doesn't come by wishing. Not, not anything in here about wishing. Did you read anything about wishing in no. this? Or wanting? No. Or needing? No. Or crying? No. Or begging? No. no. And yet, that's what many are doing, and they just keep on doing it, keep on doing it, keep on doing it. But it's not what the Lord said to do. It's not the example he held up for us. Go with me to 1 Peter, please. 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. Thank you, Lord. 
First Peter 5, he said, verse 5, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Now, we're talking about subjection and submission when you hear the centurion say, I'm under authority and I have people under me. That's submission and subjection. And you'll find, though, here's the thing that, that keeps you out of error concerning the subject of submission. Everywhere we see the phrase directing someone to submit in the New Testament, it'll say, submit yourself. And the understood subject is you. God won't make you submit. Godly people won't try to make you submit. If you don't submit yourself to God, you won't be submitted to Him. He's not going to make you. And godly people will act like Him. The Bible said, submit yourself to God. You younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Talked about wives submitting themselves to their husbands. Submit yourselves to those that are over you in the Lord, the Scripture says. There are about nine different times that I'm aware of, and the language is exactly the same. Submit yourself. Who's going to do it? You and only you. Something you have to do of your own volition. You come to Him. Now, can you see that? In fact, just hold the place right here, and oh, they'll put it on the screen for us again. The verse we just read in Matthew 8, when the centurion said, um, verse 8, Matthew 8, 8, he said, I'm not worthy that you should what? Come under my roof. Did you see that? Every one of these words is significant. What does that mean? Well, there's this concept of if you're in my house, you're a guest, right? Because this is my house. And he's saying, no. You can see he's implying you are in no way under me. You don't need to come under my roof. You're not under me. I understand authority because I'm a man under authority and I have people under me and what he's saying I recognize that you have authority over things like what's wrong with my servant and I you know you're not under me but I'm placing myself under you and my servant who's under me you know I'm placing him under you too we're saying we're ready to receive whatever instructions you'd give us. If you'd give us an instruction, give us an order, we're ready. It would happen. And that's when Jesus marveled and said, wow, <laughs> boys, that's faith. <laughs> I hadn't seen faith like this in the whole country. But it's, it's connected to submission. I know... Uh, the Lord dealt with me. One of the first revelations from the Lord I ever received 
was about submission. I was a boy. I don't know, I must have been, I don't remember exactly, I might have been eight, nine, something like that, staying at grandma's house. And uh, she's a strong believer. She gave me books to read about uh, famous men, women of God. And, and later on, I was reading the Bible myself, and I got to Numbers 12.3. And the phrase said, now the man Moses was meek above all the men that were on the face of the earth. And uh, just as a boy reading that, the Spirit of God quickened to me. Did you notice that Moses was the meekest man in his generation? I thought, well, yeah, yeah, I see that. And uh, just right after that, the Spirit of God, I don't mean I'm hearing an audible voice now, but inside me, the Spirit of God quickened. Did you realize also Moses was the most used man of me in his generation? Later on, I realized Jesus said, come learn about me. And of all the things he could have said, anybody remember? What did he say? If you want to be like Jesus, what did he say? I am meek lowly of heart. He's humble. Now in our society, meekness is viewed as weakness. And nothing could be further from the truth. Just the opposite of that is true. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about what humility even is. But the Lord began to deal with me about that as a boy. Later on, the Lord brought some materials through my hands. Uh, actually a book by Brother Andrew Murray on humility. And uh, stirred some things up in me. And, and as I kept going, I, I realized I didn't know what humility was. So I asked the Lord to teach me. It seemed like every year I'm seeing something else about it. And uh, so by the time I got to Rhema and I'm in the ministry, they allowed me to teach and preach in the Bible school. Uh, one of the courses I was allowed to teach was submission and authority. And in that course, I taught on uh, pride and humility and submission and authority. And I, did, I, I had taught those things for years before I realized this is part of the main directive of my ministry, which is faith. I thought submission was a different subject from faith. But in reading about one of the two that had the greatest faith of all, What's the key thing we're still talking about here? His submission. And with the Syrophoenician woman, the key thing you're talking about is her humility. These things are not separate. You can't talk about faith without talking about submission. But do you think most people see that? Some people have learned a few principles of faith. And think that means that they're independent of anything and anybody. And get some attitude too. But no, real faith in God is total dependence on God. Amen. And complete, the greatest faith is complete submission to Him. 1 Peter 5, he said, verse 5, you younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud. Do you want to be resisted? Uh-uh. Then you've got to get rid of the pride. 
And he gives grace to the humble. Grace is the help of God. Verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore. Read that next word. Under. Under the mighty hand of God. That you may live on the bottom. What happens when you humble yourselves? In God's kingdom, the way up is down. (laughs) The way to promotion is submission. It's, It's the exact opposite of the world. In the world, the ungodly world, it's you gotta push. You got to yell, you got to scream. It's a squeaky wheel that gets the grease. That's not a scripture. (laughs) You got to go out and take it. You can't be anybody's doormat. It's pride, it's pushing, it's demanding. But that's not how this centurion got this great miracle, is it? And he's a fighter. He's a leader of men. He's an officer. So he's a successful soldier. He knows how to push. He knows how to fight. But this ain't a day to fight. God gave him the insight and the awareness to realize who Jesus, get a glimpse of who Jesus is. And he saw Jesus as the captain of salvation. Hallelujah. (laughs) He saw Jesus as the one who had commanding power over every disease. Oh, praise God. Over any problem. And so he came and submitted himself. Oh, somebody say submitted himself. He came and submitted himself. Did, Did the Lord make him do this? Did anybody make him do this? Nobody made him do this. He came and submitted himself. A lot of people have grown up with a wrong idea about love. And their parents and grandparents and different ones have actually misrepresented God by trying to make them do what they should do. Now, a little child, of course, you need to be in complete charge of their life. (laughs) You better be. But by the time a child gets, you know, 10 years old, especially 13, 15, they shouldn't be relying on you to wake them up 10 times and help them get dressed to go to school. What do you mean? Well, they get the ideas, I'll do it if you make me, if you'll ride me long enough. And so they get used to somebody telling them 20 times and half doing it for them. The Lord's not going to do that for you. That's not how he functions. Because all that shows is you're unwilling. Your heart's not in it. And God doesn't make people do things. And godly people won't ride you until you do it. Phyllis and I have had people tell us that we're in the church or uh, under the ministry, you know. Well, if you think I should do something, then, then you know, uh, just, just make me do it. Well, no, we can't make you do it. 
No, it's not right. What's supposed to happen? You are supposed to submit yourself. Come on, can you see this? I know uh, Phyllis and I had the privilege of helping Brother Kenneth uh, E. Hagen and Miss Aretha Hagen. They're both in heaven now. One of the greatest privileges of our life. But you know, every, every day, no matter where you are, you've got your flesh to deal with. You've got other people's flesh. And, and uh, life is day in, day out. And uh, we were with their ministry for some 20 years and did a number of things. But then I came and talked to Brother Hagen about developing our own ministry. I felt like we were supposed to do some other things. And, and he said, well, you're not getting any younger. <laughs> he always just went right to the point he said, uh, he said if you're going to do something boy you better get to it so we felt good about it and they released us and I resigned from teaching at the school and, and we were traveling and busy and doing other things and, and I was up in the northeast praying before a service one night and uh, the Lord said to me he said uh, I didn't release you from helping Brother Hagen I thought huh Okay, I sat up. I thought, Lord, he didn't release me. I assumed not being there and on staff meant the same thing as not helping all the time. But I, you got to watch about assuming. Amen. So I talked to Phyllis when we, uh, when I got back home, and we both, it, it was strong on our hearts, and we thought, well, we need to go find them and ask them if we can help them some way. And so we, they were down in Miami, and so uh, we, of course, paid our own way, rearranged our schedule, and got down there and was in the meeting with them. And when it was convenient and not intrusive to them, we said, uh, if you have a few moments sometime, we'd like to talk to you if you think we, we should. And they said, well, you know, let me, let's check. And a couple of days later, they said, yeah, come over to the room. Of course, we'd known each other for some time. And we said... Uh, uh, we know that you have all these people around you and uh, all these things going, and, but uh, could we be of any assistance to you? Could we help you? Is there something we could do? Now, let me just stop right here. Who made us do this? This is not something they asked us to do. They didn't contact us. Can you see this or not? Why did we do this? The Lord dealt with me, I didn't release you from helping them. I don't know that they were thinking about it at all. But the big thing is what the Lord says. And of course, but it's up to them whether they'll allow us to help or not. Well, they were on the road, something immediate. Phyllis said, uh, I notice you have some ironing there. Could I do that for you? And mom said, yeah, sure. So Phyllis did a bunch of ironing and did some cleaning and on that meeting, helped them pack for the thing. And, and I said, well, you know, Dad, can I do anything? And he let me uh, sing. In the, he wanted me to sing some in the services, so I did that. And so the next meeting, we rearranged our schedule. We paid our way. We went, and we were there, and they used us more. And we went to the next meeting, and they used us more. Went to the next meeting, and they used us more. But who made us do that? They didn't ask us to do it. The, the emphasis is you. 
You present yourself. And, and the number one person you do this with is God. You, you don't wait for God to chase you down and hold you down and make you and push you and pin you. That's not how it works because you wouldn't be doing it willingly. It's not acceptable to him as you're being made to do it. You submit yourself to God. How many think every morning we ought to present ourselves? Is that right? Say, Lord, here we are. We belong to you. We're yours. What can we do to help you? Not have some stinky attitude. Well, if he wants me to do something, he knows where I am. (laughs) And if he'll nag me long enough, I'll, you know, maybe I'll get around to it. (laughs) I know when I first started helping them, Hagen's a... um, Brother Hagen called me up during camp meeting one time to sing a song, one of the first times, and, and I did, and it went good. Praise God. <laughs> <laughs> and so after the service, he and Mom met us, with, and, 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 he, and both of them, he, he and Mom were telling me, Keith, that was good, man, that was a good job. And, and I said, well, uh, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll eventually get around to it. Both of them stopped smiling and said, uh, it shouldn't be eventually. It should be right now. You know, just some southern colloquialisms that I was still taking around with me. Wrong thinking. Why would you drag? Why would you drag around and take a long time to do something that you could get on and do it? Why wouldn't you do the best you know right away for the Lord? See, this lackadaisical attitude is a lack of submission. It's a lack of respect. It's a lack of honor. Do you believe the Lord's things should have the best? Yes. Best we can do. Soon as we can do it. Right? No delay. No compromise. (laughs) Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And in verse 9, it's talking about resisting the devil. Like we've said before. I'll say it like this. The only way To exercise authority over the devil is under God. That's the only way it works. You take your place under him. Then you're in position to make the enemy take his place under your feet. Hallelujah. But if you refuse to submit, then if you're being defiant, If you're being stubborn, if you're being disobedient, you are already yielding to the enemy. You didn't get that disobedience and that stubbornness from God or from the Spirit of God. You're yielding to the enemy. And then if you turn around and try to exercise authority over the enemy, he laughs in your face because you're yielding to him. He knows you are. So he knows he doesn't have to submit to you. The Lord gave us a phrase already in this series. And that is that the place of protection and power is the place of submission. It's the place of protection and power is the place of submission. Go with me back to a verse you may have heard of before. Mark 11. I don't think these things are widely known, do you? Or widely understood, and they should be. And it's not because they're hard to understand. It's because the enemy works so hard 
to obscure them. The enemy is the proudest being we know anything about, and he is the most defiant. He is the most disobedient and rebellious. And he's always trying to influence human beings to be like him. And how many in your heart you don't want to be anything like the enemy? Jesus said, come learn about me. Well, how is he? He is not proud. He is not defiant. He is humble. And he is completely submitted to the Father. Completely. Praise God. In Mark eleven twenty two. Are you ready to shout about something? Mark 11. I'm excited. I'm telling you, it's taken us the previous lessons in this series to get to this point today. And we're at a good place. Now, you know, not everybody wants to hear this. But if you're smart, you will hear it. And what's the other side of humbling yourself? He will exalt you. That's not you doing something. That's not somebody else doing something. That's him doing something. When Jesus spoke to the fig tree, he gave it an order. (laughs) This is a, a command. No man eat fruit of you from now on. Hereafter forever. And it dried up from the roots. In not too many hours. And when they came by and saw it dried up. They were marveling. They were astounded. That he could just speak to that tree. And it would do what he told it to do. And so Jesus uses it as a teaching opportunity. He said. Have faith in God. Or as other translations bring out. Have the faith of God. Have the God kind of faith. Then he describes how the God kind of faith functions, both in command and in prayer. Verse 23 is the command of faith. Verse 24 is prayer of faith. They're not the same. There's a lot of things we shouldn't pray about. Oh, yeah. You don't pray and ask God to move the mountain out of the way. You're trying to get him to do something he told you to do. Speaking to the mountain is not prayer. You're not talking to God. You got a big problem in your life? Quit begging God to fix it. Talk to it. Command it to get out of your life. Shut it down. If it's a good thing, every good thing comes from the Father. And if you want to pray and ask Him for something good, well, then you do that in faith. What things ever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them. But now notice verse 23. He said, Verily I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Jesus said, and yes, there was a literal mountain that He's pointing to over there, be removed. Now, let's stop right here. Who are you talking to at this point? You're talking to a mountain. Be removed. 
be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he says shall come to pass. He shall have whatever he says. Do not presume you fully understand this verse. Just because you've heard it a few times, do not assume that you've got all of this. This is amazing. And it's available to every one of us. A lot of folks will read that and then go, ah, (laughs) you're joking, right? I mean, he's speaking figuratively. No, he's not. He's talking about a literal mountain. Literally being moved. I said, that's crazy talk. Watch who you're talking about. I didn't write this. Brother Hagin said, one time he's teaching on these things, and they're out in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and of course, a lot of oil production out there, especially, you know, a lot of years back, it was the main thing going. And uh, he said, this guy was all sarcastic, said, what if I said I'm going to believe for 10 million oil wells? <laughs> and Brother Hagin said, well, if you really believed it and said it, you could have it, but you don't, so you won't. So shut up. (laughs) What what do you mean? Here's something we haven't emphasized enough, even those of us that know a little bit about these. If you'll say whatever it is you're saying, and what? Not doubt in your heart. This is a big thing. This is the same word translated waver in James and other places. Let's just look at it. Hold your place there in Mark and in James, first chapter. James 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, do what? Well, now here's something you can pray about. Wisdom's a good thing. Every good thing comes from God. So you can ask God for some wisdom. If you're smart, you'll do this frequently. If you're in a situation, you don't know what to do, you don't know how to do it, don't just keep racking through your brain, trying to figure it out yourself. Stop and say, Father, we ask you for wisdom about this. Show us what to do, how to do it, we ask you. Don't just keep asking that same thing a hundred times throughout the day. Now what do you need to do? You need to get in faith about what you just asked. We don't receive by just begging, begging, begging. You ask, and like verse 24 that we didn't finish reading, but most of you know it, whatever it is you desire, when you pray, do what? Believe. You take it, believe you receive it, and you'll have it. Ask of God. God will give to all liberally. He wants you to have his wisdom. He wants you to know what to do and how to do it. He won't upbraid you for being dumb. He'll just give you the wisdom. (laughs) And it'll be given him. Verse 6. But let him ask in faith what? Nothing Nothing wavering. Why don't we see more literal Mark eleven twenty three happening. Speaking to the mountain and the mountain being moved. Exactly. 
wavering. Just people hesitantly speak and they're not convinced whether it will happen or whether it won't. Well, if you're just asking for wisdom, will you automatically get wisdom? Even though God has it, even though he wants you to have it, no. You can't waver. You can't vacillate. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. This is why things don't happen. Not because it doesn't work. Jesus is right. What he said is right. Let him ask in faith. What? Look at your neighbor. Help him out. Say no wavering. (laughs) Now the devil will try to tell you. You can't keep from wavering. But he's a liar. I said he's a liar. The Lord wouldn't tell you to do something you can't do. He wouldn't tell you. Not to do something you can't keep from doing. Come on, say it out loud by faith. I don't have to. to. Waver. Waver. I don't have to. I don't have to. I don't have to waver. He that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. What does a wave do? It's up, it's down, it's here. Is there. <laughs> you can't be like that and get answers to prayer. Maybe, maybe healing will show up. I hope it does. But you know, what if it's not his will? You're not in faith at all. There's no faith there. You've got to become persuaded, completely persuaded, so that the wavering stops. There's no vacillation. There's no halting between two opinions. Anybody remember Romans 4? Turn there. My, my. Did you know we're having faith school today? (laughs) Well, what's the victory that overcomes the world? What's the thing that receives whatever you need from God and pleases Him in every area of your life and enabled you to overcome every temptation and over every problem. Don't get tired of hearing about faith. Romans 4, are you there? Romans 4 is the example of Abraham called a father of faith. Verse 19, Romans 4, 19, he was not weak in faith. Well, this centurion had the greatest faith. He certainly wasn't weak in faith. But Abraham He considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not. That's the same word translated waver in James, and it's the same word translated doubt in Mark 11, 23. Same word. How did Abraham and Sarah get a miracle of a child when he's a hundred and she's ninety? She couldn't conceive when she's 20. This is a miracle. How? No wavering. Somebody say no wavering. No wavering. wavering. He considered not how old he was, the condition of his body, 
the condition of Sarah's body, you could not get him to talk about them being too old. He wouldn't consider it. Why? Because he's heard from God. We're having this baby. Yeah, but what if? No, what about? Yeah, but what if? No, what ifs. No wavering. No plan B. He staggered not. He wavered not. He doubted not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21, being what? That's the opposite of wavering. Fully persuaded. Fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he was able to perform. You know what else this is? Complete submission to the Word of God. And it's not like they didn't have a moment. Because both of them did. The first time God told Abraham that the promised child was going to come through Sarah, he laughed. He thought it was funny. And asked God, you know, let Ishmael live before you. That's wavering. But he got over it. And he quit it. The first time Sarah heard it, you remember? She laughed. She thought it was funny. And the Lord said, why did you laugh? She said, oh, I didn't. He said, yeah, you did. (laughs) Yeah, you did. How many understood? They had to get past the laughing. Had to get past thinking it was funny. Why? Had to get past thinking this can't happen. There's no way. This is too big. This is too hard. This is too much. And we know where they got. They got out of the wavering. They got past the laughing and questioning and wondering. And they got into the fully. Oh, come on, help me out. Fully persuaded. It irritates me a little bit when I hear people say, well, I said that and, and I believe God and nothing happened and, and I prayed to be healed and, and it didn't work and, and I prayed, you know, for, to get my bills paid and, and God didn't do it. God didn't let you down. Amen. Don't come trying to tell me he lied and didn't do his word. Amen. Never, Amen. never. But what happens all too often is wondering and wavering and vacillating, and doubting, and second-guessing. And that doesn't work. What did James say? Let him ask in faith. What? No wavering, and it'll be given him. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. The Bible said you won't receive anything. Do you quit wavering about it? Well, maybe he will. Maybe he won't. You won't receive anything. Maybe he will heal me. Maybe he won't. You won't be, you won't be healed. Maybe he'll give me the money for it. Maybe he won't. I hope so. We're trying. We're believing. No, you're not yet believing. You're talking. You're using religious terminology, but you're still questioning. That's why it's good to read your chapter. Every day, Monday through Friday, come to church, hear faith-building things, go to faith school, 
Is that right? If it's healing, you need to hear about healing until healing comes out your eyeballs and your ears. Until you are fully, go somebody say fully, fully, fully. People say, well, how long does it take God to do something? It ain't a problem of how long it takes God to do something. How long does it take for you to get your mind made up? That's the question. How long will you halt between two opinions? Hallelujah. But here's the thing. Jesus never said anything in faith but what it came to pass. Every spirit he commanded to leave, it left. Every disease, every one of them, he commanded to leave, they left. Every time. You know why? He's not wondering whether this is going to work or not. (laughs) He's not hoping this works. He is completely convinced. He is fully persuaded. And the reason he's fully persuaded is because he's fully submitted. Oh, did anybody hear that? Because he's fully submitted. Let me read some scriptures to you. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Here, here is an answer. Oh, it's a big answer. You believe it or not, saints? Oh, here's a big answer to this question. If it's true that the problem of having things come to pass that we say and pray is getting rid of the wavering, how do I get rid of the wavering? How do I get rid of the vacillation? This is it. This is it. A failure to submit is a failure to trust. Y'all with me, friends? It's a failure to trust. Jesus said in John 5.30, don't turn to these, I just want to read them one after another to you. John 5.30, Jesus said, I can of my own self do nothing. I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. Was Jesus completely submitted to the Father? In John 8.28, John 8.28, Jesus said, I do nothing. How much? Nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. John 12.49, 12.49, Jesus said, I have not spoken of myself. Another way that could be translated is from myself. I haven't spoken from myself. But my Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know the commandment, his commandment is life everlasting. Whatever I speak, therefore, even as the Father, or just as the Father said to me, that's what I speak. Jesus wouldn't command the stones to be made bread. He wouldn't do it. Why? It wasn't the Father who told him to do that. It was the enemy trying to tell him to do that. And what the enemy was trying to tell him to do 
was a needed thing. He's hungry and he needs bread. Can you see how tricky the devil is? And it's kind of a questioning, do you really believe what you say? That you speak to the mountain and obey? Well, speak to that rock. You believe what you say? Practice what you preach. You're hungry, aren't you? Yeah, but Jesus was so submitted to the Father, he would not give a command he didn't hear the Father say. Isn't it the same thing that the centurion's saying? I'm under authority. Let's talk about the centurion. The people that's under him. The authority the centurion has. Why does he have that authority? He got it from the people who are over him. Is that right? It's not his authority. It's authority from them they delegated to him. What if he stops obeying the orders of his superiors? He will immediately lose his authority over his inferiors. The only reason he has authority over his soldiers and servants is because he is under the authority of those over him. Jesus walked in total authority. He spoke to the wind and it obeyed him. He spoke to the waves. They obeyed him. He spoke, he rebuked fever and it leaved just like that. He spoke to the dead and they were raised. Hallelujah. Is he walking in authority? Is he walking in power? And he's walking in protection. Why? He said, it's not mine. It's not my own. I'm only saying what I hear the Father say. He's saying all the authority I'm walking in is because I'm under the Father. And I'm only speaking what he gives me to say. Great faith is connected. You can't be separated from complete submission. Can't be separated. Hallelujah. Listen to John 15. John 15, 4. Anybody stirred up about this? Are there answers here? Oh, there's, there's big answers here. Hallelujah. He said, uh, abide in me. That means live in me. How many understand you're not supposed to just visit with Jesus on Sunday for a little while? <laughs> Jesus said, live with me. And I'm going to live with you, in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. We are just like a limb on a tree. You cut us off from that tree, we're done. Jesus is the trunk. He's the vine. He's the tree. Verse 5, Jesus said, I'm the vine. You are the branches. He that abides or lives or stays in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If you're not submitted to him, if you're not listening to him, you can pray, you can beg, you can command, you can shout, and it'll amount to nothing. And this has happened. Without me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and is withered. Men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. How many know we need to be connected? We need to be have a full flow. From the trunk to us. Amen. Right? Amen. 
all the time. We need to be cognizant and aware of the fact. I'm not generating my own life. My life comes from him. My faith is a measure of his own faith. The life, everything. And it needs to continue to flow. It can't just not a one-time thing. It's got to flow day and night from him to us. Verse 7. If you live in me and my words live in you. (laughs) Can you see where you get to? You can ask whatever you want to. Yeah, but is something affecting what you want? You're completely submitted to him. Oh, come on. Can you see that? You're completely. You're living in him. You're under him. You're submitting yourself under him morning, noon, and night. And his words are your rule of life. Whatever he says, that's it. And when you live in that, when you're immersed in that, you'll be prompted You'll be stirred. You'll be quickened. And you'll say it. And it'll happen. Oh, praise God. You'll claim it. You'll lay hold of it. And it'll come to pass. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. The place of greatest faith is the place of complete submission and obedience. Look in Philippians 2 in closing, I think. Philippians 2. Thank you, Lord, for helping us this morning. Oh, praise God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Philippians 2 and verse 1. We'll start right there. I'm going to read this in the complete Jewish Bible if we have that. Some of these phrases, I like the way it says it there. CJB. He said, if you have any encouragement for me from your being in union with the Messiah, any comfort flowing from love, any fellowship with me in the Spirit, any compassion, sympathy, keep going. We're going for the next several verses here. Complete my joy by having a common purpose and a common love by being one in heart and mind. He's talking about love and unity. Do nothing out of rivalry or vanity, but in humility. Regard each other as better than yourselves. Look out for each other's interest and not just your own. Let your attitude toward one another be governed by being in union. That's what we just got through reading about in John 15 with the Messiah, Yeshua. Keep going. Though he, Jesus, was in the form of God. He did not regard equality with God something to be possessed by force. Verse 7, on the contrary, he emptied himself. Jesus, when he walked the earth, he did not function as God. None of the things he did, not the calming of the waves, not the raising of the dead, none of that did he do because he's God. He emptied himself of his abilities as God. He didn't stop being God, but if you're God, you can do things. Right? He emptied himself of his abilities and became like other men. You see, he had to learn the scriptures as a boy. Well, God's omniscient. He didn't need to learn the scriptures. He wrote the scriptures. But Jesus is not functioning as God. He's functioning as a man. 
He emptied himself. He took the form of a slave by becoming like human beings are. When he appeared as a human being, he did what? Who made him do this? Nobody made him do this. He did what? He humbled himself under the mighty hand of God. Do you hear that phrase? Humble yourself. What? Under. Under what? Why would he say it like that? The mighty hand. The place under God is the place of power. Under the mighty hand of God. Exalting yourself, pushing and demanding and defying and rebellion, that's the place of powerlessness. You're on your own. That ain't enough. But under, oh somebody say under. Under. Under the mighty hand of God. Jesus said when he came to, he wept over Jerusalem. He said, I I would have taken you under my wings like like a hen does the chicks, but but you wouldn't do it. You, You wouldn't have it. Anybody remember Psalm 91? He that dwells in the secret place. Of the Most High. Under. 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 The shadow. Of his wings. His presence. His glory. His power. Where's peace that passes understanding? Where is protection from anything and everything? Under him. Where's the place of full power and authority? It's not you holding your head up. Trying to do your own thing. It's. Complete submission under him. That's the place of power. Keep reading. He humbled himself. Still more. What do you mean? It's some kind of humility to leave from the throne and be born in a manger and function as a human being for 33 years. We have no idea what kind of humility that takes. But that wasn't the end of it. At the end, he humbled himself to being executed as the worst criminal on the cross. Nobody made him do it. He said, nobody takes my life from me. He demonstrated it. When they came to take him, he said, who'd you come for? They said, Jesus. He said, I am. They all fell on the ground. Yeah, we see who's in control around here. <laughs> he let them take him. He submitted himself. He humbled himself. Obedient to death, is he your example? That was weak. I said, is he, is he your example? Do you want to live like him? Are you willing to humble yourself? Like he did. Oh, the other side of this, we're about to read. He became obedient, obedient to death. You remember when he prayed in the garden? Father, all things are possible with you. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will. Is this submission? This is the perfect picture of complete submission. Not my will, but your will be done. He was obedient to death, to the death on the cross. Verse 9, 
Therefore, God, oh come on. Hallelujah. Has anybody ever humbled themselves more than Jesus? No. From the throne to the earth to the cross to the heart of the earth. Can't go no lower. Nobody's ever humbled themselves more than Jesus. Nobody's ever been more fully submitted or completely obedient than Jesus. He is the ultimate example of submission and obedience. But at the end of those three days and nights, the Father spoke from on high. It shook hell. It shook everything to the core. He said, this is my beloved son. Hallelujah. Jesus was born again. Hallelujah. In the heart. And God raised him up. He, he came to the earth. He appeared to those. And then he was raised and caught up in the clouds. And he is set down at the right hand of majesty on high. That's what happens when you humble yourself before God. He will exalt you. He will promote you. You don't need other people to know everything you're doing. He knows. You don't have to have your name on everything. You don't have to have your face on everything. You need to humble yourself. Submit yourself to him. In fact, when you know the truth, you can be glad when nobody knows some of the good things that you've done. In fact, it's even better if nobody knows about it in this lifetime because the Bible said he's going to bring it up later. Of course, that takes faith, don't it? Keep reading. God raised him to the highest place, gave him the name above every name, that in honor of the name given Yeshua, Every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth is this complete and total authority and power. It came after complete submission and obedience. Can you see it? He humbled himself and God exalted him. Every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Every tongue. <laughs> now you think about this. That includes all of them that refused to acknowledge him on earth. That includes every fallen angel, including Satan himself. Every is every. There's coming a day. I don't know what it's going to take to make the devil confess that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. But it's coming out of him. Somebody say every tongue, every tongue, every, every knee will bow, every tongue. How many believe the Bible, every means every, will confess that Yeshua, the Messiah, is Adonai, Lord, to the glory of God, the Father. Is he your Adonai? Is he your Lord? Oh, somebody say Yeshua. Is Adonai. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. Woo! 
Hallelujah. And I gladly bow my knee. I gladly humble myself and acknowledge I'm under you, completely under you. Now, that's another thing to live that out. Because every day is a new day, and you get opportunities to demonstrate it. And all of us got flesh, and you can be tempted to be stubborn and disobedient. But even if you mess up bad, when you see it, repent. Ask God to forgive you. Repent. He will. Receive your forgiveness and go on. He won't even see it anymore. Is that what he said? He said, I, you know, they won't be held against you. Your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. Stand on your feet, everybody. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.